Uh, welcome to our uh, virtual service. Uh, so glad you can join us this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And uh, I don't want to ignore that we do live in really disturbing times right now. And some of you have experienced the loss of loved ones, uh, hospitalization of loved ones, job loss, illness, um, which are all unfortunately realities of our life. And, and then to experience those losses in the middle of this pandemic just makes it all that much worse. And I want to acknowledge your grief and let you know that our church is here to support you in these unsettling times. Uh, we desire to pray with you. Please uh, forward us your prayer requests at prayer at regenerationweb.com. Our staff, our elders, our prayer team will pray for you. You can also join us on Tuesday evenings. Um, you'll get that prompt on your Regen email, or it's called Remail. Uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can go on our website to receive those emails. Uh, we want to help. Our church desires to help, and um, in, with this Benevolence Fund even, uh, we've seen people be really generous in supporting other families during this time. And it's been very, very encouraging to see our church come together like this. Uh, we've seen people who are helping others with signing up for ways of uh, social services with um, food and, and other needs and helps that are out there. And so if there are any other practical ways that our community can help, I, I ask that you would please share that with us so we can prayerfully discern how we can help you. One of the ways the church helps is to continually direct us towards Jesus Christ, to direct our gaze, to direct our focus towards the true and living God, and to distinguish what is true from what is false. And the scriptures that we're looking at this morning are going to be disturbing, but they are the truth. And I just want to first point out a couple of these verses that John wrote to us in verses 21 and 26. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And then to verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There is a truth that is already known. John's purpose isn't just to point out what's false. He's also verifying what is true. There are people throughout history who have been unsettled with what John wrote here, just as there are people today who will read these scripture passages and find them to be disturbing. And some of you might even wonder if John is writing this to you, wondering if John is describing you in this, and he might be, I don't know. But John's purpose isn't just to point out what is false in terms of doctrine and teaching. He's also setting out to affirm those who are truly in Christ. John is writing to people who can discern between truth and lie. He's writing to people who can discriminate between truth and lie. Truth is what we inherit as Christians when we become believers in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. We get the truth when we are in Christ. 
God gifts us with truth as born-again believers in Christ. It is our rebirthright. I, I like our um, name regeneration because you can just kind of plug re before anything and it just kind of makes it, anyway, it's kind of nerdy. But it doesn't mean that we just suddenly know all the answers when we become Christians because how could we? How could a Christian a hundred years ago answer questions about the World Wide Web? It's just, that's not what it means. But there are truths that we are certain about, and we do know the answers to, even in the midst of falsehood and uncertainty. John is not writing about anything new. He's writing about these truths that are already known, which is what we often do as a church. It's often what I do as a pastor in teaching the scriptures. I'm not teaching anything that is new. What I'm doing is I'm affirming the word. I'm confirming the scriptures with itself. It's more in the way of a reminder. Take a look at Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. We'll read through verse 16. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Peter also writes about this reminder in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, so as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Reminder, reminding. And all of us can relate to this because people that care for us and love us do this all the time as we do this for other people as well. You know, my mom does this all the time and it's um, silly sometimes, but she does this because she loves me and she cares for me, but she constantly reminds me to wear a jacket. I have four children of my own. I have a teenager, so I, I've lived a while, but she'll say this even if it's over 100 degrees outside. You know, I'll be leading a pilgrimage in Israel, and she'll, we'll be on the phone, and she'll say, hey, remember to bring a jacket, and it's over 100 degrees outside in the desert. Or I would be doing a mission trip in Thailand, and it's so humid and hot, oh, bring a jacket. Or I'll be in Kenya, or I'll be in Ecuador, all these hot places, and she'll always say, we'll bring a jacket. Now, John's and Paul's and Peter's reminders aren't as out of touch as that, but it's done out of love and care. Theirs is actually quite sensible and things that we really should listen to. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. We know a lot of these reminders already, don't we? We know these scriptures. We've heard them before. We know them. But we have this ministry of reminding even though we have the truth. Even though we know the truth. But we need to constantly be reminded because we're not so good at remembering all the time. Also because of 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
Our world is full of deceit. It is full of deceivers. It's full of people who try to lead children of God away from their heavenly Father. And John is warning us about them. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verses 22 through 23, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. Jesus' prophecy here in Mark came to being in John's day when John wrote this letter. He, he wrote about it in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. John's not writing about a possibility. John wrote about what actually happened in his day and also what will happen in the future. Let's look at verse 18, 1 John chapter 2. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. There are many Antichrists. But there is one who is coming who will be this full embodiment of the spirit of Antichrist. Until that day, there will be the presence of the spirit of Antichrist through many others. The last hour is speaking of the last days, the last times. Those are all synonyms. They're often used interchangeably in the Bible to, to speak of the time between Jesus' arrival on this earth 2,000 years ago and his return. Now, what are the signs of these last days? Because the last days even have their last moments. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So you see, you read, that there will be this rising tension between the forces of evil and the forces of God to this final day, to this final hour, that time is moving towards this final hour of Christ's return. And this is the will of God. John chapter 6, starting in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Skip down to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. God is in complete control of our time, and we are marching toward that last day. See, that time has already been set. We celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, and, and that timer on that last day started then. It's just that no one knows when that last day is except for God, but the countdown has already started. It is happening Nobody knows when that return is except for God himself. And nothing else needs to happen except for Jesus Christ's return. So we are in these last days. 
and no one knows how far into it we already are, all I can tell you is that we are closer to it than we were 2,000 years ago. But there are ways for us to see that it's approaching sooner than later. And one of those signs is that evil just starts to gather more steam. People start getting more captivated with things that pull them away from God. Those people need Christ. Some of those people are our family members. They are our friends. They are people that we care about. They're people that we like. They're friendly. They're nice. We enjoy being around them. But they're held captive in this darkness and they need Jesus, our Jesus, who can return at any moment. And the spirit of the Antichrist is in our world and it has been for the past 2,000 years and, and we need to test what is of God and, is, and what is not of God. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4 starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Okay, then what happens? Well, what are we to do with this news? Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So we are to stand firm. We're to endure. We are to stand firm in Christ, which is the evidence that we have faith in Christ. We are to endure with that good news. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have a part to keep going, to hold on, to endure, but it's not completely dependent on us, thank God. That God has actually a bigger role in this than we do. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That God is our faithful keeper. And we do have our part in that we must endure, we must hold on. And those that don't, go back to verse 19 in 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, just because people are present with us physically does not mean that they are with God spiritually. And over time, the spirit of Antichrist will be weeded out. We will be able to tell. And Jesus told this parable of weeds in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. He put, out, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There are people all over the world who sing songs to God, who sing songs about God. They do Christian sacraments. They proclaim Christian faith. But the question is, are they truly of Jesus Christ? Are they truly in Jesus Christ? And how do we tell the difference between truth and lie? 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verses 22 and 23 are Christian orthodoxy. Anything outside of this is not Christianity. And if anyone claims it is Christianity, it is a false Christianity. This is the word of God. I am not the one saying these things. These aren't my words. It says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. No one can know God the Father and deny his Son, Jesus. John chapter 5. Starting in verse 22, I'm going to skip some verses here to not read that whole section, but 22 and 23 to start off with. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Skip down to verses 25 through 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Skip down to verses 36 through 38. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. We'll talk more about this abiding a little bit later. But I want to talk about how people believe that all roads lead to God, that every road leads to God. And I actually agree with that. I agree that all roads lead to God. But there's only one road through Jesus Christ that leads to the forgiveness of your sins and salvation that is a gift from God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all going to meet him in judgment. But only Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and save you from them. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name, Jesus, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is what we need to hold on to. This is the news that we need to endure with. And some may accuse us Christians of arrogance and exclusivity. And how can we believe that there's only one way? That this is the only way? You guys are so arrogant to believe that your way is the only way. 
It's the truth of God's holy word. I can't change that. No matter how much people disagree with it in fleshly ways, this is the word of God. And people's everlasting lives rest on this truth. I can't change it. So how are we to challenge false teachers, false doctrine that is different than this? Well, I thank God that it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on God. It is dependent on His anointing. Look at verses 20 and 27. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. 27. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it, as it has taught you, abide in him. Now obviously John is not against teaching because if he was, he wouldn't have written these letters. What he's against is false teaching. False teachers. And one of the things that Christians get as an inheritance when they become Christians is that they're led to truth. Of course, false teachers use this very teaching themselves to convince their followers to follow them. But what John is saying is that you don't need the false teachers to teach you that you've been anointed by God to know the truth. So you can challenge them. You can challenge them with the Word of God. You can challenge them with the Spirit that is within you. Now take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There are no special teachers giving special teachings about God. God has anointed us already with what we need to know, and what we need to know is already in His Word. There are no additional new teachings. All we need to know about God is already in the Bible. Verse 24, 1 John chapter 2. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. All we need to know is already there in the Bible. All we need to know about God is already there. To enter into studying it with humility. Studying it in fear. To submit to the truths even though I don't completely understand it right now. But I believe it to be true. Therefore, I will walk in that truth. That I can be mistaken. I can be mistaken in my interpretation of it. But God can't be in what he has for us. That people change. We change. We change with our circumstances and our culture and the things happening to us. But the word of God doesn't change. And so you see, this is what the Athenians were guilty of back in Acts chapter 17. The Athenians who are, are, are known for thought known for their philosophy, they'd gather and they'd talk about the new ideas in Greece, in Athens, and, and they would think about ways to, to think through their own thought 
and continue to philosophize. And, and this is what was frequently done in Greece. And it was a place known for this thought, but it wasn't a place that anyone could ever land solidly on truth. Because it was just this fleeting thing. It was just nebulous. It was never something that they could actually grasp onto. Acts chapter 17, verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Always talking about something new. Never ending. But John is telling us that new is not always best. New is not always true. Some things we already know. And we just need to abide in that truth. And rather than being like these Athenians, who could never be at peace with God because they kept looking elsewhere, even though God could be right in front of them. No matter where they looked, they could never find because there was this continual, endless search. And rather than being like them, be like the Bereans who Luke wrote about in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, what they already knew, a truth that was already there, daily, to see if these things were so. See, the truth is not new. They already knew the truth, and it was present with them in God's word. And what they had to do was, was look for it there, that if they heard something new, well, is it in, in here? Is it in the word of God to compare what they were hearing with what they already knew was truth that they'd find in God's word? Back to verse 24, 1 John chapter 2. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Our eternal relationship with God, with Christ, is actually not all that complicated. It's definitely not easy. But it is really, really simple. And there are just these two simple things that anchor us in our relationship with God. Verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you. And then verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. So, verse 24, receiving the word. And verse 27, receiving the spirit. And having those two all-important relationship pillars, the word and the spirit, having those abide in us. Those two all-important truth givers grow us into spiritual maturity word and truth not some new teaching from some new teacher but what we already have in the word of god there is no new teaching there is the word of god and there is no new teacher we have the holy spirit that's all we need to abide in that's what we abide in not new teachings, not new teachers. Now in our last days, which we are living in, and some fear that these are the last moments, that this pandemic is last moments, and I don't know if it is. Nobody knows. But we don't look at their new teachings. We don't look at their, the new spiritual teachers who are telling us these things that nobody knows. We have God, who has given us his word, 
and his spirit. And we look to his return and we continually prepare ourselves just as Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years. He instructs us on how we are to live until his return. This pandemic is nothing new. Christians have faced multiple pandemics over the 2,000 years. And it never has changed our abiding in his word and our abiding in his spirit. And if anything, it should encourage us to know that we've been through this before. That it empowers us knowing God's in control as his word says and his spirit is present with us and nothing changes who God is. We hold on to his truth knowing that it is eternal. That we are free to love. We are free to serve. We are free to care for others during this really challenging time. And we as a church, just as the church has for the last 2,000 years in their pandemics, addressing people's pain, addressing people's fear while we are here in these last days. That we don't simply live for today, but we live today in preparation for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are all truth. We acknowledge that your eternal truth that we have in your word and that you have anointed us in your spirit. Lord, forgive us if we run elsewhere looking for something new when we already have your presence with us and when we already have your word. I pray, Lord, that you would equip your church, that you would reveal more and more your truth to them through your word, that your spirit continues to minister to us. And we are so thankful for your word, for your spirit. May we not quench your spirit. May we not just throw your word as another book in our library, but may we just absorb all of it and be hungry for it, thirsting for it, and, and gaining all of what we need from it to mature in our relationship with you. Lord, there are many people who are hurting at this time. We ask for endurance and strengthening of your church to minister to their needs, their pain, their suffering, their fears. Thank you for choosing us, this really humble church here in Oakland, to address some of the needs that are being met. It's so encouraging to see our bodies share and to love each other. And the evidence of your love is present here, Lord. We thank you for people's generous hearts and to live out their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this time, we're doing our virtual communion still and uh, would love for you to join us. It's been a really, really rich time, actually, for me and my family to do this as a family, taking communion, to have these heart-to-heart -heart conversations with our children, and especially with my teenager who's able to process these things. It's just been a really, really rich time to talk about Jesus Christ and the good news of his salvation. And so as you have your elements before you, as you have the bread symbolizing his body broken for you,
for me, for the world. Let's take that element. And as we prepare our hearts to examine our own hearts, to think through and ask the Lord, the Spirit, to reveal in us how we've been inconsistent in our relationship with him. Praying for that revelation. And as those things are revealed, that you would posture yourself towards Jesus. That you would seek forgiveness. That you would ask for repentance, knowing that whatever it is, he died for it, to take it upon himself. So let's take the bread together. Let's get our juice ready for communion. Recognizing that it is Christ's blood shed for us, that this symbolic juice as we take it in ourselves, a, a weekly reminder to direct us towards the last days, to direct us towards being ready for his return. And so let's take this element of his blood, symbolizing his blood, into us. Lord, your divine plan, so costly, We remember your sacrifice, Jesus, for us. How much you love us to come down from your throne to step onto this earth, to experience our finitude when you were so infinite. Help us, Lord, to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.